Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. to understand I chose to, to stay in my country because I'm French. And the I've got a problem with soccer to be fair. Football. What I can guarantee to you is that they want to keep everything secret. We are live. Welcome to House of Champions. YouTube friends, drop in your comments and those questions in the chat and make sure you hammer the like and subscribe buttons as we finally welcome back the Champions League to the House of Champions. Let's preview the games ahead this week in the House of Champions today. Jonathan Johnson and James Benz. JJ, how are you doing? Yeah, doing very well. Thanks. Looking forward to uh, getting ready for a big week of uh, footballing or big midweek of footballing action with you guys. It's never-ending stuff right here, is it really, on the House of Champions? James, how are you doing, bud? Yeah, good, thanks. Nice of you to pop along. I know you're not around very often at the moment, but good of you to not leave me to fill in your shoes as the host. Listen, you have been doing an amazing job. I was told that James would like to host today so you can take the day off here. <laughs> so, listen, when you got a diva like you out here, I got to step aside. Speaking of divas, James Bench, I did notice that you stayed up late to watch a little bit of the halftime show at the Super Bowl last night. I mean, I mean, I have to say, it's a great reward for the absolute slog that is watching however many hours of NFL. Um, and I can say that this year because it wasn't on CBS. Um, I thought Rihanna was... <laughs> um, it's quite a strange show, but I, if nothing else, it just shows how many... You can leave there. What's My Name. Oh, and, uh, Alfred, Alfred, Alfred's not happy with that verdict. You have to do better, James Bench. 
not the greatest <laughs> halftime show ever, but pretty impressive. I thought it was pretty impressive, especially for someone who was pregnant to get up there on that type of stage and do the show that she was doing was uh, super impressive. I thought the Super Bowl game did not disappoint either. What a cracking game. Congratulations to the Chiefs from everybody here at CBS Sports. All right, let's get into it, boys. We welcome back the House of Champions and we welcome back Champions League round of 16. Uh, There is no bigger game to start than this one, JJ. I know your dog's barking in the background, but I just got to get into you first and foremost about Paris Saint-Germain as they go up against Bayern Munich. PSG have been in a bit of a downfall recently can i say that but also i'm noticing neymar controversy was the words that were in the press and the media today clashing with players clashing with the sporting director first and foremost what is going on with psg right now and what's happening with neymar Hey, good question. I mean, I think uh, it's not just specific to this moment in time. I think the the question could be asked, like, what's happened to Neymar since the World Cup? And, you know, what's really happened to Neymar since he signed that extended PSG contract over a year ago? Because, uh, you know, his form hasn't really picked up that much. I mean, okay, it was decent at the beginning of the season, but, uh, uh, you know, it has fallen well and truly off of a cliff uh, since the World Cup. And it's, uh, I mean, it's shaping up to be, you know, make or break for PSG, you know, which is pretty much, uh, you know, standard for for this time of year and uh no i'm just looking through the actual confirmed squad right now so the i guess the big news obviously being that kylian mbappe has actually been past fit surprise surprise so he will be <laughs> in line to feature against bayern munich uh you got marco verratti back as well messi. uh and uh and Lionel messi so uh you know psg Ooh. going with all of their big guns uh but you know i think there's a a lot of pressure now on the likes uh, of Neymar to, to step it up. You know, we saw him completely fail uh, over the weekend to, to lift PSG. Admittedly, a depleted PSG against Monaco. But PSG's form since the, the return from the World Cup has been very, very, you know, very poor. Uh, and, you know, now they're kind of in this situation where they've gone out of the French Cup. They've lost a couple of times in the league. They really have to beat Bayern uh, and get past them. I mean... I suppose equally, and this is the the question we say a lot, and and maybe you would disagree with this, JJ, but how much have they been caring about all these games leading up to to the Bayern match? We'll find out. I mean, of course, you know, the simple fact of the matter is it's always better to be going into these games with form and fitness on your side. But I do almost think, you know, you can throw the form book out of the, out of the, the room a little bit. It's still a hard game to get, you know, for me to get my head around. And I was doing the preview on this, um, earlier this morning. And I think you kind of set not quite knowing what we're going to get out of PSG. Yes, Messi and Mbappe are in the squad. Are they going to be fit to play the full 90? We'll have to wait and see. And you set that against the Bayern team that are are pretty unpredictable in this, in this competition that where Julian Nagelsmann likes to to play around with things. And I kind of wonder, Ian, you'll know better than me as well as a, a Bundesliga expert, how much he will be inclined to plan around facing Mbappe and plan around that team that can, can can counter. We know the way that Bayern play actually would really suit an Mbappe. You know, Bayern will look to control territory, hold the ball in the final third and draw their men up. You know, two lines of four against two lines of four, basically. Now, one thing I was looking back on, when they beat Barcelona 3-0, they didn't do that. It was all long balls to Chupo Moting, rapid counters. I think that's how they could test PSG, especially away from home and, and keep this tie balance. But I don't know. I find Bayern are almost as hard to get my finger on Ian than uh, as, um, as, as PSG are. 
Yeah, listen, it's a great question, James. And right now, Bayern Munich are very difficult to figure out and trying to figure out who they are, how good they are, um, how offensive-minded they will be, how defensive-minded they'll be, who's going to start in that defence. I mean, I guess, JJ, you can touch upon this fact that there are some familiar faces to, obviously, French football, but also the big stars. You have a Kingsley Coman there, you have a Benjamin Pavard there, you have Opamecano, who know, obviously, deep down what PSG mean. You have, obviously, Chupomoting, who played there. So there's a lot of familiarities about... You, the expectancy of what you're coming up against with Paris Saint-Germain. Um, JJ, I'll come back to you in a second because I really want to know who you think will start for Paris Saint-Germain. Will you start, obviously, the big three? Will you start a Messi and a Mbappé with the question marks as to whether they're 100% fit? Because this is a game, as you've already pointed out, that PSG have to go through. For Bayern Munich, I'll also throw this out there, James. Bayern have to go through in this tie. Mm. For Bayern Munich not to go through in this tie... If you look right now what's happening in the Bundesliga, Bayern are now very, very close and within touch and distance from not only Union Berlin, who had a great win this weekend, but also from Borussia Dortmund, who are in fabulous form domestically. So they're in touch and distance, and it's not guaranteed that Bayern win domestically. I have pointed out, and we have clearly made a lot of fun about the fact that I've said that there's something not quite right at Bayern. But I stand behind it. I still believe that, you know, no Lewandowski there to rely on. I have no idea which Bayern will show up. There is a Bayern Munich JJ that can turn up in this game and he can play and they can play out of their skin. And, and if you think of how dynamic they are, even without a striker or even with Chupo up top there, they're a dangerous side. They can score goals against any team. But defensively, can I say here that Bayern can stop PSG from scoring goals with or without the big trio up top there? I can't say that because they have been suspect defensively, even though they have been winning games of late, JJ. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really fascinating. I was doing a comparison piece earlier, which will be up in a couple of hours' time. Uh, and, you know, Bayern do have some absentees on their side as well. I mean, okay, we know that they've brought in Jan Zoma to replace Manuel Neuer. Let's not forget that you had Hernandez getting uh, injured in the opening game of the World Cup, who's also missing. Sadio Mane, okay, he's on the mend, but he's not fit enough to be in Bayern's squad, which has also dropped. So, you know, this, this is a game where Bayern are... Slightly shorthanded. I'd say the one difference between them and PSG is that Bayern very intelligently used the January transfer window, pulled off that unexpected coup as well of getting Cancelo in, who, you know, makes uh, a bit of a difference to the defense in terms of the way that they line up, whether, you know, he actually makes a, a difference we in terms them of worse defensive contribution. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the thing is, though, could you make Bayern that much more sort of suspect or vulnerable defensively. I, I'm not sure you can because I've said for a long, long time, and I know because it's mainly made up of French players that that Bayern defense doesn't convince me. Even at full strength with all players available, I still think that they can, uh, you know, and will ship chances, uh, you know, especially against a team like PSG where you have those creative talents. But the interesting thing about PSG is now with the players available, I actually think that the more logical way for Galtier to go is to go with players who you know are going to at least you know turn up and, and put in a performance. You go with Mbappe from the start. The player you maybe don't go with from the start at this moment in time is Neymar. You know his attitude looks dreadful. The body language on the pitch is awful. Uh, you know, and I think you know maybe it's for the best if Neymar sits out a few games, actually gets some sort of appetite to play again, and then maybe PSG actually gets something decent out of him between whenever he comes back and the end of the season. Why, why is this that, moment JJ? in time? 
Sorry to interrupt I mean, you, but why, you know, is, why, why is he showing poor body language? I mean, we've seen this before from Neymar in his career, but I know the World Cup's just gone and uh, he obviously was playing very well leading up to the World Cup. But he's a massive part of PSG. If PSG wants success, they need a happy Neymar. Yeah, I mean, you can you can temper that by saying that he did pick up an injury in the World Cup, which, you know, obviously is something that we have to, to consider. But also at the same time, it's not the first time that we've seen Neymar, you know, sort of, you know, being in this kind of like loafing mood. Uh, you know, after he signed that extended contract, uh, you know, his form dipped massively, only really came back at the beginning of this season with a new manager, Christophe Galtier, uh, and, you know, the World Cup to prepare for. So I guess now the argument is, okay, does that is that Neymar saying that he feels he's done for the season? There's been, you know, uh, a lot made as well about reports in France about his neighbours complaining about his party lifestyle, uh, you know, noise all the time, 20 seven, uh, you know, so I guess that, you know, also hints at the fact that, you know, he's, you know, perhaps putting in more effort elsewhere than, uh, than on the pitch, but, uh, it's, you know, I think with Neymar, it's very clearly been a marriage that has never really truly worked out. Yes. He's had some great moments, you know, when PSG made that run to the final back, uh, you know, when, uh, the tournament ended up in, uh, in, in Portugal at the end, just after we got the, the, the rights on, on Paramount plus, but, mm-hmm. There's never been a real moment where you think, you know, Neymar and PSG, this is really working. Uh, you know, this is good for both parties. There's always been some sort of element of, you know what, this is not quite right. Either Neymar doesn't really seem to be feeling it or PSG don't seem to be feeling it. At this moment in time, neither party seems to be feeling it. So I think PSG are better off going with players who are actually going to apply themselves and potentially, you know, add something on the pitch uh, as opposed to just sticking Neymar out and basically playing with 10 men for the majority of these games at the moment. JJ, is Sergio, quick, quick yes or no, because I know how you can go on. Is Sergio Ramos <laughs> going to start? I think he probably has to. Uh, the good news is, I, mean, I, think, I actually think the best news for PSG, apart from Mbappe, is the fact that Kimpembe is somewhere close to returning. Uh, you know, he came on as a sub against Mor- uh, Monaco and PSG really messed up in the January transfer window, in my opinion. I know they tried to get Skriniar, but they needed to have some sort of plan B to strengthen the defense. They didn't, and that's one of the reasons they're paying at the moment. Marquinhos is you know, quite a, a, a limp captain, in my opinion, and is out of form anyway. Uh, Ramos has just suddenly, you know, gone, you know, massively, uh, you know, the, the way of a, a veteran past yeah. his, uh, past his prime <laughs> and Kim Pembe, although he's had his issues, uh, you know, in the last year or so is probably the most consistent performer. So having him back and potentially able to start, that could be a big turning point. And maybe, maybe it comes at the expense of a Ramos. The other thing I'd like to see, and this is a real throwback to PSG under Thomas Tuchel is Marquinhos moving into the midfield, which I think would actually solve a lot of PSG's issues and enable Verratti to, to get more creative, which is when he's at his best. I just think that that Bayern front three, front four, however they line up may end up being a little bit too fluid and maneuverable for a Ramos and you know as good as Hakimi was at the World Cup and as promising as Nuno Mendes is I look at that back four and I think Bayern have so many weapons to to prize it apart over the two legs um yeah which I have to well, see I mean, part to pass. one of the biggest problems is we're talking about PSG as a back four now when for the majority of the season when they were unbeaten it was basically a three-man defense with two wing backs which is when mm. they you know were playing at their best and suited most of the players but you know, I think we're now seeing the damage done by the, you know, by the World Cup uh, break, uh, you know, done to, to PSG's squad. We did suspect something like that would happen. But equally, uh, you know, Bayern majorly benefiting from their longer winter break. 
probably the best yes or no answer you've ever given, JJ. Let's get into a real quick comment because uh, we are discussing Messi and I'm actually intrigued with all the noise that's going on around PSG right now, the unhappiness, the lack of consistency, consistent results, certainly. I'm also wondering if this is affecting Messi's decision to extend in, in his time in, in Paris. Is there any more discussion about that? I mean, there is. There's, there's a lot of debate about it all the time. Uh, we know, uh, you know, from our insider, Fabrizio Romano, that there will be talks between PSG and Messi's um, camp uh, later on this month. Uh, PSG would like to extend him, but there's no sort of concrete agreement sort of in terms of the length of the contract or the amount uh, for Messi to stay in Paris at this moment in time. We also know that PSG do have to be careful with the amounts that they're spending. They've got Skriniar coming in in the summer. They've got guys like Ramos, like Messi coming to the end of their contract. My opinion on Messi is that there's probably a stronger case to continue with him than there is somebody like a, a Ramos. Uh, you know, with Messi, generally, he's been very good so far this season. Okay, he's not been great since the World Cup, but at least he has contributed, unlike a certain somebody, cough, cough, Neymar. Uh, it's, <laughs> for, for me, I think you can make an argument, but I don't think it's the strongest argument about PSG and Messi continuing. It's just my point of view. I think mm -hmm. with this, you know, with this, the changes needed this summer, there comes an opportunity for PSG to move on from some of these players who don't have that much more to give in terms of, you know, years of their career at the highest level. Uh, mm -hmm. And if it means losing Messi and Ramos, uh, you know, to strengthen the PSG project, then maybe, you know, ultimately that is what they need to do. And also I do think that there has to be an element of consideration as well about some of these players who have been there, been part of these continued failures over the years and whether they're really the players to continue with. And that includes the likes of Verratti and Marquinhos, fantastic players individually, but you do have to wonder mentally why this keeps, uh, you know, happening. And are we about to see another incredible implosion this season? Yeah, great and well said. We'll continue to follow that, obviously. Amy jumping in and saying it won't be surprised if Messi goes on to play in the EPL. James, watch the space. Oscar jumping in and saying Paris Saint-Germain and Manchester City will never win the Champions League. PSG's aerial defending is awful. Bayern have been better at set pieces this season, which is a great point there. And Matt Osman jumping in and saying conceding from transitional moments is still a defensive issue, which clearly it is. Hello to everybody out there and thank you so much for joining. Um, as always, House of Champions, it's Ian Joy with Jonathan Johnson and James Ben, just we turn our attention away from Paris Saint-Germain against Bayern Munich. We turn our attention to AC Milan against Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, James, I'm coming to you first here. It wasn't great news, obviously, for Ben Tancourt recently. Conte, obviously, back. Um, but not a great performance from Tottenham Hotspur ahead of this game against AC Milan, who themselves are also not in great form, even though they did win on Friday. Yeah, really woeful performance by Tottenham, losing to a Leicester team that are, you know, mid-table at best in the Premier League and it's not got better. As you mentioned there, Rodrigo Bentancor, he's out for the season. Um, and we should say for people that don't watch Tottenham regularly, you don't understand how important Rodrigo Bentancor is. He's the link man between that deadly front three and the, and the rest of the team. He's defensively solid, but he's so elegant in his passing. He is vital. Eve Basuma has also undergone surgery. Pierre-Emile Hoiberg is suspended for this game. So, the likelihood is that Antonio Conte is going to name a starting midfield of Oliver Skip, who is 22 and a reasonable young prospect, nothing amazing. Uh, and Pape Sar, who's 20 and has had some good moments off the bench. Um, but I think that really gives you some sense of, of the difficulties Tottenham are going to have. They just need to sort of get through this game, 
bypass midfield. I mean, you know, let's not forget as well their goalkeeper Hugo Lloris is out injured, and um, Fraser Forster did hardly look like an adequate replacement. Ryan Sessignon as well. That's just a bit of a loss of depth. Ivan Perisic is going to have to play, I think, for the next six weeks as the sole starting left wing back. Pedro Porro is only settling in. So, um, I mean, thank God they've got Harry Kane because and 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 Son is is maybe starting to round into like a, a less bad version of himself than he's been. But like, this looks really tough, like a really bad moment for Spurs to be going to Italy. Hmm. Is there a sense that this could be sort of the backs against the wall scenario that Antonio Conte needs to sort of redevelop, uh, you know, a bit of the togetherness in the Spurs squad? Because obviously there's been extenuating circumstances as well. He's been away from the players up until recently. Uh, you know, obviously he was in hospital and uh, had to undergo a, a little bit of time off. Uh, you know, but is there a, a sense that this could be, especially going up against an opponent that Conte is very familiar with, that this could be the moment to perhaps, you know, galvanize the squad a little bit and, you know, at least try and salvage something from between now and the end of the season and potentially go on, maybe not a deep run in Europe, but at least get to the next round of the Champions League? Yeah, I think that's a, a good question. And the, 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 the sort of relevant argument in favour of Spurs is that they're a team that do like playing like that and they have a manager that relishes those opportunities and, and coaching staff clearly because they did it without Conte uh, in beating in beating Man City. Yes. I mean, I, like the centre-backs in particular, Romero is someone that really suits that aggressive, um, energetic, fighting approach. But, I, and, and, you know, and if I'm making arguments in favour, if you can just get the ball up to Harry Kane and Kulisevsky, they can create for themselves. That's kind of maybe how you view it. And, they're, they're a team that are well suited to playing on the counter attack, although that's not actually not how they beat City. But look, you know, I mean, we're, we're looking at the stats here. If he gets out of this round, Antonio Conte, it's his best achievement in the Champions League in, in a decade. And, and I think maybe there's something about this competition that doesn't quite suit him. He's going to have to adapt a little bit to coaching on the fly. And obviously, it's a really challenging circumstances to be doing that. So, yeah, I keep coming back to the idea that. Even a few weeks ago, it felt like the timing was quite good for Tottenham because Milan were falling apart and obviously they beat Torino slightly underwhelming fashion in midweek um, or, or on Friday, whenever it was. Yep. But it just, now it's all, it all feels like it's gone a little bit pear-shaped and I feel like I, I feel like their season's really at risk of, of petering out into the same old thing there. I don't think they're going to qualify for the Champions League again. I don't think they've got much chance of doing anything beyond sneaking past Milan. So um, mm -hmm. yeah, injuries have really spoiled this team that I thought might have made a little bit of impact in the competition as a whole. Yeah, it's well said there, James, as well. I mean, realistically, injuries play a big part in this. This is an unusual year for the Champions League, in particular with it coming off the back of a World Cup. The, what the players are being asked to do right now is ridiculous, realistically. I mean, I can put myself back on the pitch and think, you know, how many games did I actually go without having an injury? And I struggled in my career. I would go 20 games, hamstring. I would get a lot of injuries just by playing overload on my body. I can't even begin to imagine some of the games that are being played now for these guys. You're playing literally a game every three days right now. You're not really spending much time on the training ground. You're not getting much time for rest and recovery. You're being asked to go game, 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 game. And if there's injuries in your squad, like you pointed out there, James, the best players and the big players are not getting any rest, if any at all. 
JJ, is that what we're seeing from AC Milan? Because obviously they have been pretty poor. As James pointed out, they did get that win against Torino. 1-0 Giroud. Lovely goal, by the way, on Friday. Um, but that broke a run of seven games without a win in all competitions. They've been dreadful. And I mean dreadful to watch in 2023. We're hearing issues with Leal's contract. We're hearing issues behind the scenes. Zlatan is back. He's on the bench. He's also 41 years old now. I mean, this is not a good position for Milan to be in when you're coming up against, and I get it, as James pointed out there's a wounded Spurs but I still believe that Spurs would be a favorite in this tie yeah I mean I think you know we have to recognize that Milan did very well uh, in winning the title last season but there's also been this sort of element of you know these players sort of clutching at being evergreen the likes of Giroud the likes of Zlatan the likes of Simon Kjell I mean it feels like Zlatan has been like on this kind of countdown to uh, suffering from physical problems since he left from PSG because the reason that he was allowed to move on was because they started to be concerned that he was becoming a bit too injury prone obviously he's extended that career massively since but you know, it just feels like we're prolonging the inevitable all the time by, uh, you know, constantly talking about Zlatan as if he's still really the talisman of this team. And perhaps that is why the Liao situation is just so critical for Milan now. Milan have to start thinking about the future, not about the now. They have to be, you know, concentrated on the younger, better elements of the team. And they've done well with that in tying uh, Ben Asser down to an extended contract recently. But for me, Milan are in need of an overhaul, quite a substantial overhaul in the summer where they move away Away from some of these veteran presences, uh, you know, and start going for players who are, you know, have not yet hit their prime, and you know, p- perhaps are more potential based. Which is funny, given uh, you well, know the way that they, Tal- that's what they have when you look at, across the the team in midfield. I mean, other than Giroud, and I think it's a really nice balance, isn't it, between you, you know, a veteran striker and Ibra is basically going to be Giroud's backup, um, and then you know, you look back at the, at the back end of this team, it's a it's a young defense. I mean, Leao, you're right that. Having that young forward, dynamic, irreplaceable forward like Leao, losing him would be a huge blow. But I mean, the whole the whole philosophy of, of Milan is is built around getting these young players. But then the goals also are expected to come from those guys who have a combined age of nearly a hundred. You know, I think really that front line it either needs Liao to sort of be given that guarantee like right you know you are the guy moving forward uh, and that money that's spent on the likes of Zlatan and Giroud goes towards keeping Liao or Milan need to pay a bit more attention uh, you know in how that attacking unit is built because at the end of the day goals are what win you games uh, you know and there's you know, a sort of decreasing amount of those now coming from certainly from the likes of Zlatan, who's been out for ages and ages, uh, you know, and it, it just feels like perhaps, uh, you know, they're sort of in that transformation process. And, you know, James is right. It's it's perhaps, uh, you know, a bit uh, ignorant to dismiss Milan as like a geriatric team because they're not. They're so much more than just the likes of Zlatan, Giroud and uh, Kjell. But it feels like the moment is there for them to move on from some of those guys because let's face it, they're not going to be on, uh, you know, some of the lowest wages in the squad. Uh, you know, Milan can perhaps better assign that elsewhere and become more competitive, uh, you know, moving forward with some dynamic players to, to match some of the, uh, the the talents that they have in other areas like the midfield. 
Yeah, well said. And I think uh, right now, for any Milan fan who's out there, I can I, I can tell you this because I watch a lot of the Milan games. Milan fans are very unhappy with what is happening right now. Performance-wise, just very difficult to watch. Lack of consistency. Pioli trying to figure out what's going on. And I've been reading that Pioli's been spending a lot of time getting his players out on the training ground. Sometimes keeping them for the whole day at the training facility, trying to get them back into the mentality of winning games. But it's very difficult. You're running the risk right there. And I think when the players are not responding like they are not right now, um, good luck. Because in the Champions League, if they do get knocked out I think realistically what we've said for all the teams to get to this point it's a job well done you're in the knockouts of the Champions League but there are a lot of heads that will roll from teams that get knocked out of the Champions League at this stage and I can't wait to see uh, Vic jumping in and saying you have to fancy Milan in this game he is going for a 2-1 prediction right there Matt Osman says Spurs won Milan nil um, and then Bayern uh, to beat PSG easily says blow and chill Amy jumping in and she is also saying uh, that uh, Milan is 37 years old uh, as an American American as a 30 as a 37 year old as an American I would love to see more Dest on the pitch you might be the only one Amy that would love to see Dest on the pitch right now for the way that he has been performing Steve jumping in and saying AC Milan and Tottenham as a 50 50 percent games let's get to our predictions before we take a quick break James I'm coming to you first here Uh, Spurs away to AC Milan give me your score yeah one nil Milan JJ Uh, I think I went for Spurs to sneak this in my prediction so I'm going to stick with that I'm going for a 1-0 Spurs win as well here. If you've watched Milan recently, you'll understand why. Let's go to the previous game that we were talking about, PSG Bayern Munich. JJ, who you got here and give me a score. 2-1 PSG. I think this will be their big performance of the season. (laughs) (laughs) James. Yeah, 1-0 Bayern. I love it. I'm going for a low-scoring game here. I'm going for a 1-1 game. I'm sitting on the fence. I don't think Bayern can get it done. I think PSG don't lose this game as well. I'm going for a low-scoring game. Crazy to say with all the superstars that could be on display as well. All right, let's take a quick break. More to come from the boys when we return. We'll have a look at Wednesday's fixtures in the Champions League round of 16. More House of Champions right back after the break. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast ebay motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease fresh installs and a whole lot of love you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own look to your left look to your right it's official no one's got a ride like this there's nothing else that sounds like feels like or looks like the set of wheels in your garage With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride-or-die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
Well, don't miss a second of action from the greatest club competition on earth, the Champions League. Follow the biggest stars from the world of soccer like Lionel Messi, Karim Benzema, Victor Osimhen, and Erling Haaland as they try to clinch the most prestigious prize in the club game. Stream every match from the Champions League live only on Paramount+. Plus. And if you want to try one month for free, Use the promo code ADVANCE. Welcome back. You are watching House of Champions. Jonathan Johnson, James Benj, and myself, Ian Joy. Uh, let's get back into it. We turn our attention to Wednesday's set of games in the round of 16 first legs. Borussia Dortmund against Chelsea. Uh, James, I'm coming to you first on this one. It is a massive game for both clubs, clearly. Um, I guess my question to you would be about Potter in his uh, uh, position that he's in right now. Is it easy for him to choose a starting eleven, And how much pressure is put on him with selecting that starting 11 not only from the other players who are not playing but also probably from ownership now to get it right with the starting 11 how much pressure is on his shoulders in this tie overall i mean the ownership thing i think we have to come out and say look they hired him for the long haul and every indication coming out of chelsea is that hasn't changed and that this is a project for years not for months not for weeks now Chelsea fans feel rather differently and I think the key thing we have to say is it's not just that the results aren't coming it's that god they are dreadful to watch absolutely you know the the cure for insomnia is watching some of their build-up play before Enzo Fernandez arrived and that started to ease a little bit with Fernandez's presence because finally, and I have to say, frankly, you know, as good as Kovacic, Jorginho and Kante have been, it's been a very long time since Chelsea have had the, a table setter, you know, a midfield playmaker from deep like Enzo Fernandez looks to have been in a very small sample size. But it's just that it, the, the goals aren't coming. The, the chances are starting to come a bit more and Joe Felix is making a really nice impact and Mudrick looks like the player a lot of people feared he might be, which is a good player that, that you have overpaid for. Um, they just need to... I, I think the one thing I would say about this game, and Ian, I know you can talk about Dortmund, but, but one thing, even though they kept a clean sheet last week and the defence is getting better and they're starting to control games a bit more, is they are a team that can very suddenly look like they've got no idea how to defend in the transition. You know, they will lose the ball and before you know it, the opposition are down the other end putting the ball in the net. And I think that will suit Chelsea, who aren't a team at the moment that look like they can break down a defence, but get Fernandez, Mudrick, Felix in open space that might be their best route to goals. So, I mean, look, you know, we're looking at the we're looking at the squad right there and all their January arrivals and half of them, most of them aren't even available to play. No Badia Shield, who's been excellent since he came <laughs> in because they've got to make room for Fernandez, Mudrick and Jao Felix. Noni Madueke, I think, could be added as well, but I'm not certain on that regard. Noah Bamiang as well, who obviously has been massively off form for a long time now and didn't, didn't fix things at Chelsea, but um, he's also the only—he's also their third highest scorer with three goals. So um, look, there are a lot of problems. My my thing that makes me feel like Chelsea might be able to get something out of this is that they do have players that can punish Dortmund's mistakes, and I do think as much as Dortmund have improved since the World Cup, Dortmund will make those mistakes. But you know that better than me, Ian. 
It's the thing that fascinates me uh, about this, uh, and it's sort of touching on the, the point made by James, like with regards to the players registered in the squad. Ziyech nearly joined PSG in the transfer window, yet he's still in that Champions League squad. It, you know, that suggests to me that Potter does have an idea of the, the players that he wants to use or can use in a system that he envisages. And yes, you know, they are struggling to, to score goals, but you know, I actually think he's going to be quite grateful that the January transfer window is behind them now and that, you know, the pieces available to him are not changing on sort of an hourly or daily rate as they were uh, during the winter window. You know, I think he's now set to go with this squad between now and the end of the season, assuming that he gets given until the end of the campaign, which, you know, you imagine will be the case as long as form, you know, continues to improve. But, uh, you know, I, I completely agree with James. They, they seem to be a team, you know, really, really struggling for identity at this moment in time. It's taken a long time for people to even start to say like well you know this is kind of starting to look like a graham potter team finally uh and you know i think it's going to be you know a number of weeks maybe even months before people are really saying like finally this is chelsea starting to play in the the recognizable kind of potter style that they expected them to uh you know i guess the question is how much uh, of the season can chelsea save in these next couple of months before they really start to properly buy into what potter is trying to get them to do on the pitch um Dortmund are are a funny one because, you know, as we've already sort of touched upon, they are a team that could punish Chelsea and could beat them here, but also equally have their vulnerabilities, notably the defence, you know, which sets this up. You know, if Chelsea can actually find a way to score a couple of goals, you know, maybe to to go through at their expense. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I don't think that too many teams, uh, you know, if they were looking ahead to the quarterfinals already, would be worried about potentially coming up against a Dortmund or a Chelsea in this, uh, you know, kind of slump that, that Chelsea have been in recently. But uh, equally, you know, given the quality that they're able to put out on the pitch, there is always going to be that risk that they, you know, turn it on, uh, you know, and manage to pulverize a team. Maybe that will happen against Dortmund. But like you said, Dortmund have started to improve recently. They've closed the gap a bit on Bayern at the top of the Bundesliga. For me, this, I, I still feel like this is going to be a very close one and it could actually end up being Dortmund who sneak through. Yeah, it's a very close one to call here. And and maybe that's the case here. Uh, who doesn't uh, concede the most in this game? I think it's very difficult to stop Borussia Dortmund from scoring goals. But like you both pointed out there defensively, I mean, whether it's Sule, Schlotterbeck, Hummels, who starts in that defensive position, the poor. I think the fullback positions, they've actually been a bit more impressive. Ryerson's been very good on the, the, the fullback position. Um, but the fullbacks love to get forward. Guerrero on the other side. I mean, they're just fun to watch offensively, Borussia Dortmund, but they just forget sometimes to defend. And at times, you know, even recently against Freiburg, they were up a man and still conceded a goal against Freiburg relatively easy just by the counter-attack and, and making mistakes defensively. So Borussia Dortmund right now are a fun team to watch. They're in a run of uh, five games in a row where they've won all five games in the Bundesliga. It's been fun to see them perform. It's been fun to see Royce come back, Aller come back. Obviously, we're, we're so happy for him personally to be back playing there but he's clearly not fit right now he needs match fitness and right now in big games like this I don't know whether you play him he might have to start now Mukoko came off um, Mm. at the weekend there with an injury which is a major concern I actually saw him holding his hamstring I think when he came off which is a massive concern for me as to where he's at going into this game Um, but with that game being obviously a home game you would expect Dortmund to go for it in this first leg because that's where I think they can win it but I don't think that they can stop Chelsea from scoring goals However, as James and JJ, as you've pointed out rightfully, where are the goals coming from from this Chelsea side? They they have the players. Clearly, we see it in the squad. But right now, offensively, they look so poor. Creativity is surely there. You've got the players. You've got the talent. But 
I don't know what it is that just not it's not clicking for Chelsea that would give too much fear for Aiden Terzic. And Terzic is one man who's done an unbelievable job. I'm so happy he got the job again at Borussia Dortmund once again. Um, he's finally doing very well. They're still involved in all competitions in the DFB Pokal, still in the Champions League, and clearly still in with a chance here. No one's talking about Dortmund potentially challenging Bayern Munich at the top of the Bundesliga. Um, but this game right here, if he gets past Chelsea, I think would be a tremendous personal achievement for Aidan Terzic. Anything else, James, before we move on? Yeah, just super intrigued to see what that Chelsea front three ends up looking like. I mean, I think this is what you were almost referring to. Where do the goals come from? And they don't really come from Kai Havertz, who gets the chances, but um, has that Timo Vernery quality, quality at the moment where um, I wouldn't back him to hit a barn door. I mean, look, as Vic says, um, Havertz needs to be benched. Same with Gallagher, Mount and Kukurami. Mount's the really interesting one because this guy has fallen off a cliff like in terms of output, in terms of creativity, goals. And um, I think that has got to be a real worry. I just, I think unless Shao Felix really clicks, it, 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 hard, hard to see that many goals in this game. Can I just say here that this game could be won by individuals? Clearly, there's a lot of talent on display here, but Jude Bellingham, this is his platform yeah. right now. And I know he's from down the road, JJ, from where you grew up in, in Stourbridge, right? That's where he's from. But this is a game for him to prove a point. Long he's road, that. <laughs> That's a long road <laughs> from an old Stourbridge. You've got to try to Bellingham. <laughs> very true and it's uh you won't get me saying positive things about any former Birmingham City affiliated players too often but no he is a fantastic talent and one who we really love to watch uh you know every time Dortmund are playing uh in the Champions League that we're lucky enough to enjoy on Paramount Plus and it does feel like the kind of tie where you know, there's enough of a chance of Dortmund to win this that he could really stamp his name on it across both legs and make it. I'm not going to say a breakout performance because obviously we already know that Bellingham is one of the brightest stars, uh, you know, in the world game at this moment in time. But one of those ones that puts any potential lingering doubts in the heads of any of the big clubs that might want to move from this summer, uh, you know, to, to one side. Uh, I do think as well, uh, regarding that Mukoko injury that you mentioned you know, that could potentially be a bit of a concern for Dortmund, not just for this leg, but the second leg as well. Because if I remember correctly, Terzic was saying after the match that it seems like it could be a fairly serious injury. So that would be a big blow for Dortmund if they do lose uh, Makoko ahead of uh, ahead of this two-legged affair. But no, Bellingham, this is a big, big opportunity for him, uh, you know, to really flash his credentials once again. Quick prediction from both of you in this one here, James. I'll start with you. It is Dortmund at home in the first leg. Yeah, 2-1 Dortmund, and I'm going to say Bellingham gets at least one of the goals. JJ? I've gone for 2-2. I predict this to be the most goal-filled uh, of all of these games this week. I think this could be an absolute banger of a game. I'm going for both teams to score here in this game, but I think we get a winner like James pointed out there. I think Dortmund are difficult to be at home. Chelsea, I think 2-1 would probably be an okay result for them mm. going back home in the second leg so let's hope we get a cracking game all right quickly we turn our attention to Brugge against Benfica this is a game obviously as we get to the end of our show here we always seem to leave it last here Benfica we know we have a lot of Portuguese fans who enjoy watching the show here James which is desperately disappointing because I know you wanted to spend 10 minutes on this game but you've got I about did. 60 seconds so what do you got for me Bruges against Benfica I, I don't want to talk about Benfica because we everyone who watches the show knows we just think they're uh, absolutely wonderful uh, and I think they will be <laughs> anyway they seem to be absolutely fine without Enzo Fernandez. Um, uh, keep an eye out for Antonio Silva as well. 
he's going to be the one that everyone's clamoring to buy next. Um, but I want to talk about Bruges because I came on this show all the time during the group stage and you lot were all raving about Bruges and it was a lovely story and it's a lovely town. I went to visit soon after the group stage. Um, so all credit to them, but I told you it wouldn't last and it hasn't lasted because Scott Parker has one win from seven since taking over. Scott Parker, who's a bit more au fait with the championship than the Champions League. And it turns out that quite possibly Simon Mignolet, who um, let in four goals from shots worth six expected goals, it turns out he's not the greatest goalkeeper in the world. Um, so I was writing my bold predictions. Look, Benfica may well wrap this up in the first leg. It may be in the first half of the first leg. Um not a great moment for Bruges. I, I would like to be wrong. I, I Very warm welcome if you're ever in that part of the world. It's a fantastic city. But I, I think Benfica are going to absolutely win this handily. Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I fancy Benfica over both legs and I've got them coming away uh, with a narrow victory here. One thing I will say, the, the atmosphere when you go to watch a game uh, in Brugge on a big Champions League night is it's fantastic. It can get very intimidating. But uh, James is right, you know, given the form that Brugge are in at the moment, it's difficult to see them making it past, uh, you know, sort of such a, a team like Benfica with such a pedigree at this level and experience season after season. Uh, you know, it's already been a fantastic achievement for Brugge looking at that group that they managed to get out of just behind Porto, uh, qualifying ahead of the likes of Leverkusen and Atleti. But, uh, you know, it does feel like they've really suffered, uh, certainly since the change of coach, uh, Carl Hefkins, another Premier League legend replaced by Scott Parker. Uh, and it's, you know, it's... Yeah, it's a shame, uh, you know, the Brugge's form has really, really dropped off. But you look at, uh, you know, the the Belgian league and there's a couple of clubs where you would sort of expect them to have made more of an impact in the Champions League than they actually have. And I think that Brugge, despite this season potentially being a lost cause, certainly in terms of the Belgian title now, uh, you know, they have, I think, made the most meaningful impact for, for Belgian football over the last couple of years, more so than the likes of an Anderlecht who you might have expected. So despite the fact that they probably will crash and burn here over two legs, uh, you know, I do think there are reasons for, for positivity about them still, despite yeah, James well, being right. Well said from both of you. Amy jumping in and saying 4-0 to Benfica in that first game. Matt saying Benfica cruising through to the quarters. I think both of you agree with that. So no need to ask for your predictions really when it comes into this one. Um, at the end of the day though, I will say this. Brugge at home in that first leg. Trying not to lose that game and giving yourself an opportunity in the second leg would be something impressive. And let's not forget, as we criticize Scott Parker, he's also picking up a lot of draws right now. So he seems he to be happy. He seems to be happy with a draw right now. And if he gets a win in that first game, maybe the draw specialist Scott Parker comes out in that second leg, you know, yeah, 11 man behind the ball and, and see if you can get a point from it or a, a draw from it and go through the tie. Um, interesting to see how it's going to play out in that first game in particular. But as uh, producer Des just pointed out with the, the odds came come up there, I mean, clear favourites in that first leg is Benfica, which is uh, no denying it. All right, that is the Champions League round of 16. Let's turn our attention to the Europa League. And there is one mouth-watering tie to look forward to. But if you are a fan of football and you love watching different kinds of football, certainly teams uh, dropping down from the Champions League and teams who have fought all the way through the qualification stages to get to the knockout stages of the Europa League, you'll love the fixtures in the Europa League. There's a good look at them right there. But we want to turn our attention to the Barcelona against Manchester United. United one, uh, first and foremost here. Uh, JJ, I'll come to you first one on this one. It's a cracking game, obviously a mouth-watering tie to look forward to, but really, is it? I mean, this is Barcelona-Manchester United. This is the Europa League. 
not many of these players used to playing on Thursday until recently, and now we're so familiar to seeing these teams play in Europa League, which is uh, unusual. Who's a favourite in this game? Who you got going through? Yeah, it's funny how it's sort of symptomatic of uh, modern football in the last couple of years. Some of these clubs that have not been run very well at all, uh, you know, sort of find themselves, you know, going from playing in the Champions League to meeting here uh, in the early rounds of the the Europa League, having dropped out of the the Champions League. So it's, yeah, it's... um, I mean, it is it is a mouthwatering clash. It's it is a bit bizarre as well that it's going to be played on a Thursday night. But we know we've got Europa League specialist James Benj in the house. Love it. It's it's all of these uh, big Europa <laughs> League nights are, are made for. But I mean, really, it, it it is going to be you know sort of quite interesting to see if United can uh, you know put down a, a, a bit of a marker uh, and start to, to make a name for themselves, beating some of the bigger sides. You know, Ten Hag's revolution so far has shown shoots of promise. Uh, but also equally, you know, Barca, uh, you know, under Xavi, I mean, okay, they spent massively, uh, you know, to do it, but finally find themselves top of the tree as well in uh, in, in La Liga. So yeah, this this one, I've, I reckon this one will be a tight one. I can see maybe United edging Barca over the two games, but wouldn't surprise me if this one ended a a score draw. Yeah, I was quite surprised to see that Ten Hag kind of rotated with this game in mind, didn't he? I mean, Harry Maguire coming in, for instance, to that that starting lineup, he doesn't maybe have the depth that that Xavi has to to manage across multiple competitions. And and almost the, the challenge that Ten Hag has is he can't, he, he obviously managed to do it well against Leeds, but you have to assume that if Barcelona, if United were to get through, they may also still think they're in a title race. And, and we'll see, obviously, the other big game is is City-Arsenal. And that could open up, you know, draw there, could have United believing they're in a title race. How does how does Ten Hag manage the fitness of Rashford? How does it, and possibly the best forward in Europe on form right now, how does he... Uh, keep getting the most out of Casemiro. Well, it helps that Casemiro is suspended for so many Premier League games. So, I, I, I mean, it's it's really hard. Those odds tell me that, that Barcelona are massive favourites. I don't entirely buy that. Um, and I'm intrigued to see if Anthony can just get a little bit better. Can he start testing Jordi Alba down the down the left? What what does Vag- Veghorst op- offer at the highest level? I feel like there's a, quite a few things I don't fully know about United yet, whereas Barcelona are a bit more of a, a known concept under Xavi. So, I'm really looking forward to this. And this is why I love the Europa League. Fallen giants, rising stars. I mean, sporting versus FC Michelin as well. Imagine having <laughs> that on the slate. Same slate as Barcelona, Man United. Only the Europa League delivers that. I, I love that stuff, James. I mean, the Europa League is especially one of the most difficult leagues to prepare for, as we all know this, uh, certainly since the time it's been here at TBS Sports and Paramount+. Plus. Preparing for the opening rounds of Europa League is absolutely insane. I mean, it's ridiculous because there's so many teams and there's a lot of teams going through qualifications. And then you have all these drop-down teams from the Champions League, or should we call them the losers from the Champions League dropping down, which obviously is another discussion for another time. Um, but real quickly, James, before we do get on here, uh, we have just touched upon the Europa League. I want to just ask you real quickly about that Premier League fixture that's coming up here obviously Arsenal against City just real quickly if you, I hope you don't mind me asking you mm. um, but this is a massive game especially right now with the results that Arsenal put to get back back to back results has been disappointing for them City will feel like they're back in the title race here oh absolutely and you know with the win they go top a lot will depend on whether Erling Haaland's fit and equally you know the difficulties Arsenal have had have come from playing physical teams like Everton 
and Brentford that are, and Thomas Frank that said this, and I was writing about this beforehand, teams that will double up on Saka and Martinelli. My assumption is that Riyad Mahrez and Jack Grealish are not going to be tracking back to make it a back six. So it's quite hard to get a read on. Um, it, absolutely huge for Arsenal, an almighty game. I have to say I'm skipping off on Champions League duty to watch this. A point will do them just fine. They'd be three points clear with a game in hand. And they ju- I think Arsenal will be thinking subconsciously and the supporters consciously will be thinking, let's just get through this without losing. But City are starting to round into some form. And uh, if Ake can do the job on Saka he did in the FA Cup, I fancy City to edge this. Wow, there you have it right there. We have a title race on our hands here. I was also watching some of the coverage yesterday and many are believing that Manchester United are still in that title race. Final <laughs> thoughts on House of Champions before we get out of here. Uh, some wonderful news uh, just breaking as we're on air right now. Producer Des, if you've got a second, let's throw this video. All right, so this is Jakob Janko. Um, you can't obviously hear the words right here. He is a Czech international playing for Hitafe on loan at Sparta Prague. He's come out as gay. The 27-year-old is the highest-profile current male footballer to publicly come out after Josh Cavallo at Adelaide United and Jake Daniels of Blackpool. In the video, he's saying, Hi, I'm Jakob Janko. Um, he said, um, uh, like everybody else, I have my strengths and I have my weaknesses. I have my family. I have my friends. I have a job which I have been doing it as best as I can for years with seriousness, professionalism, and passion. Like everybody else, I also want to live my life in freedom without fears, without prejudice, without violence, but with love. I am homosexual and I no longer want to hide myself. Golf clap. I absolutely love to see it. This is such a brave move. We need more of this, please. I have played, and I can say it straightforward, with many a homosexual player uh, or gay player, and I hope that more and more come out and have the bravery to do so. It is obviously a tricky situation for many players who are gay, but JJ, this is a step in the right direction. Congratulations also for him actually in coming out. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, fantastic news and hopefully, you know, the the first of many to come. Uh, I think, uh, you know, what's really positive about this as well is it's a player who's not coming to the end of his career or you assume not, you know, just at 27 years of age, still got plenty to give at the the high end of the the game. I mean, I also think it's a very, very bold decision as well, uh, you know, to come out during a time when he's, uh, you know, on loan at Sparta Prague. There have been issues in the past uh, related yep. to, to the Czech Republic with, uh, you know, homosexuality and the abuse of uh, players, you know, certainly from from fellow players. I know there was that incident with uh, Slavia Prague a year or so ago. Uh, you know, so that is uh, you know major major props to him. Uh, you know, for coming out and, and being so bold and the the way that he announced it as well. And like I said, you know, we can only hope that you know this increasing trend, uh, you know, now uh, continues to grow and more people can, uh, you know, come out and feel liberated. Uh, you know, with uh, with their decisions. Yeah, uh, yeah. Any, I'm, go ahead, James. So I'll let you jump in now quickly. Go ahead. I, I think he and, and his family and everyone associated with him have a huge amount of, should take a huge amount of pride in the way he has handled this. And, you know, I, I, I hope that there will doubtless be, as JJ mentioned there, there will doubtless be difficulties that come from him sticking his, his head above the parapet. And it's an incredibly brave thing. I equally hope he gets every endorsement opportunity everything good that should come with this and there should be a lot of good you know i would i hope that for every person booing and sadly there will be that he i hope he knows that there'll be hundreds thousands of people maybe not in the stadium maybe in the stadium as well that are are coming out and and supporting him and 
it is the next person after him and the person after him who come out and feel comfortable saying it, they'll all have Jakob Yankto and Josh Cavallio to thank. This is trailblazing stuff. It shouldn't have to be, but it is. And um, congratulations to Jakob. And uh, I, I hope he's feeling the pride that even those of us that don't know him feel in him. Yep, well said. And I think uh, you are actually seeing, as JJ just pointed out, that Sparta have already supported him. And I think you'll recognize that the importance of clubs supporting someone like him who comes out, it, it gives a platform and a path for others to come out as well, to have the confidence to come out, which is tremendously important as we go forward. So congratulations to him. I love breaking news here on House of Champions. It's a great show we've just put through. We went for 40 minutes. We managed to get to 50 minutes. Boys, thank you very much. As always, I appreciate both of you. Uh, just a reminder to everybody out there, we're back on Tuesday and Wednesday we have a massive schedule coming up for all of you if it's the Champions League and European competition that you're looking forward to we have got you covered right here on House of Champions so make sure you follow the show um, following uh, the games ending on Tuesday and Wednesday we will be right back here and we hope you join us as well if not watching the Paramount Plus uh, coverage which will be fantastic coming from Kate Abdo and the crew uh, thanks everybody out there for listening to House of Champions please take a minute to leave us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform we're available on Apple Podcasts Spotify, Stitcher and anyone else you listen to your podcast also available as a video so subscribe to us on YouTube House of Champions signing out enjoy the Champions League we got some cracking games to look forward to Okay picture this it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.